Hey, hey, good morning. Good morning. Are we awake? Are we awake? That was a good worship, huh? Yeah. Yeah, we need a word today. We need a word today from God. That's why we're here. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your presence. Always in this place. You are here in our midst, God. You are here and you're waiting to speak to us. Anoint this message. Anoint our ears to hear. Give us a word from your throne. Whisper it into our ears, God. Thank you for your blood. Thank you, Jesus. Bless this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. The blood, right? That was amazing. That's amazing. When I think of the blood, as we took the blood, I think of a way of escape that God has made for us. And um, if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Let me ask you a question. How many of us sensed a war this morning just getting to church? Yeah? Yeah? Last night, it started last night. Everything in me stopped me, was like stopping me from from being here. And I just rem- I just remember realizing how insufficient I am, how incapable I am. And uh, but that's good, that's good because we allow God to demonstrate His ability through us, right? Little weak weak little vessels that we are. But in First Corinthians ten thirteen, we are we are in the middle of this great war right now. All around us, around this chapel, there's a great war going on, right? It's it's Satan and his little angels, fallen angels against God and His angels. And there's a war, they're waging war, and we're caught in the middle of this, whether we like it or not, right? But there's, there's, a, good, there's a good uplifting message for us here today. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation or test or trial or something that's, whether it's something that's sent to test the genuineness of your faith or it's something that comes in to entice you to sin. No temptation or test has overtaken you that is not common to man. That's, that's encouraging, right? Everyone in this room, if you look at the person next to you, they probably, they probably have a word of encouragement for you because they've been through something, right? We're filled in this room of like faith heroes. I always say that. But you guys are awesome. But the second thing it says is God is faithful. God is faithful. How many times do we just say that and be, are we so familiar with it that God is faithful? Right? Can you look at your neighbor and say God is faithful? Say, don't ever be familiar with it. Say it. (laughs) Don't ever be familiar with it. God is faithful. Okay. It says, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape. God knows our frame. He knows our ability. A little, little weak thing that I am. He knows my frame. He knows that time and time again, I gravitate to the dust. My soul clings to the dust. He knows that. He knows my ability, but he provides me with a way of escape that I may be able to endure it. The war that is waging has not been, is not, it's not a new thing. It's been waging from before the foundation of the world, right? Right? When Satan was cast down, there was a war in heaven in Revelation 12 and verse 7. There was a great war in heaven and the great dragon, Satan, the deceiver of the whole world was cast down. And there's this picture in Revelation 12. I'm just going to paraphrase it because of lack of time. But 
it's a good reading for this afternoon, maybe. But there's a, there's a picture of this woman who is pregnant with a little child. And the, the woman represents the nation of Israel. And the child represents Jesus. It says the child will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And now when Satan sees that he's been cast down, what does he do? What does he do? I'm going to turn there so I don't butcher this. But when Satan sees that he's been cast down to the earth, he pursues the woman and he waits for this woman to give birth so that he may devour the child. But it says the woman was given two wings of the great eagle that she may fly away from the serpent into the wilderness, a way of escape. God is faithful to provide a way of escape. Right? Notice how Satan is so, such a coward. He, he will not attack you when you're strong and when you're edified and when you're built up and when you're walking in the spirit. He will come when you're weak. Right? He's waiting. He's lurking in the shadows, waiting to attack you when you're weak. And that's what he did to Jesus, right? Luke 4, when he was weak, when he was hungry, when his natural self was weak, his natural body was weak, he came and he attacked him. But, but Jesus overcame him. And then what does it say? It says Satan went away waiting for another opportune time when Jesus was weak again. So, say, so in Revelation 12, he pursues this woman. God takes her away and gives her refuge in the wilderness to a place where she used to be nourished for a little time. David cries out in Psalm 55. He says, oh, that I have wings like a dove that I would just fly away. My soul is in anguish within me. Can I just fly away, God? Take me to a place of rest, a place away from the tempest, a place of rest. And that's, that's, that's what God does. He provides a way of escape. And then the, the, Satan doesn't give up. The next thing he does is he sends water like a river out of his mouth to sweep away like a flood. Maybe once in our life, we have been in a place where we feel like there's a, there's a river coming that's going to sweep us away like a flood. If you haven't, it's, going to, it's coming. It's coming. But I promise this is going to be encouraging, okay? It's coming. But it says, But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon poured out, a way of escape. Satan doesn't stop there. He's furious now. He's furious, right? He's lost his place in heaven. He has a wounded spirit. Who can bear a wounded spirit? Satan comes, guns blazing, and he comes and he says, he's, he goes to make war with the rest of her offspring and all those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Who is that? In this, in this, it's the, it's the, the believers who, in the tribulation, but that's us now because the war is waging out right now. He's attacking those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. What is their way of escape? In, in verse 11, we know this verse so well. Pastor Stephen's verse, right? Throne words. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto the death. A way of escape. God always provides a way of escape. Do we know that there's no situation in our lives that we will ever face, or no circumstance that we're ever in, in which God will not provide us a way of escape? Do we know that? Do we know to look for a way of escape? How do we escape the, the blood of the Lamb? We escape sin and death and guilt, right? Our conscience is sprinkled clean with the blood. How do we escape the corruption in the world? How do we escape the accusations of Satan? It's because we have these great and very precious promises 
right? That allow us to be partakers of his divine nature. That's the, that's the way of escape that we have. How about my flesh sometimes? Oh boy. Sometimes I feel like, sometimes I feel like my flesh entices me. It says, come on, I'm going to take you on this nice little trip. It says, come on, get in the car, let's go. And it takes me down the road, a couple of hours down the highway, and it kicks me out and leaves me stranded. Because that's what the flesh does, right? Right? What is the way of escape when the flesh does that? It's God's mercy and goodness that pursues us all the way along as we're in that car with the flesh. It pursues us and it brings us back and it wants to take us back to the house of grace because there always is a way of escape. First John, 4, 1 John 5, 4, everyone who's born of God has overcome the world. That is our position. Okay, okay, that is our position. What, do, what does that mean practically? How do we, what do we do when we're being swept away like a flood? It says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, your faith. Our little faith, our little intangible, immeasurable, invisible, immaterial thing that we have deep in our hearts, that we hold on to, is the way we overcome the world. It's what the, the world looks at and they say, oh, you're so weak. It's pathetic that you, have, that you need faith. You need, faith is for, for a simple, naive person who doesn't really have the ability to reason. But they are being overcome. Right? They are being overcome. But we overcome because we have a way of escape, and that's our faith. A little faith. What, is, what, is, uh, what does Job's wife say to Job? She says, she says, Job, do you still hold fast to your integrity? To your little faith, are you still holding fast? Look at God, what God has done to you. Curse him and die. But then look at what God says to Satan. God says, look at my servant Job. There's no one like him in all the earth. He still holds fast to his faith. He has found the way of escape. Maybe the way of escape is not the easiest way, right? Maybe sometimes it's not, it's not conventional. Paul, what did Paul say? Paul said, God, take away the stone from me. This is, this is, I plead with you three times. Take it away. Take it away. Take it away. What does God say? God says, I've given you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The way of escape sometimes is not that is taken away from us is that God gives us the grace to endure it. And Paul, God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. When you're weak and you're insulted and you're persecuted, and when you think you're weak, you are strong. You are strong because you have found the way of escape and you've taken it by faith. How many, how many, of, like, how many people in this world are being overcome every day? Even Christians, even believers all around the world. Because they haven't found, the, they don't know that we have a way of escape, right? We can be discouraged. We can feel like we're lonely. What happens? I don't know what happens to like we have so many missionaries around the world. What happens to them when they when they're discouraged? Because Satan is waging a war. I don't know if you heard the the testimony of Pastor Mati recently, but he was in Oman, and he woke up one day and he felt he said, "I cannot do this anymore." There was a war waging against him. But he found the way of escape. He went to a conference and he got encouraged because God provides a way of escape all with all the time, right? What happens when we have droopy, like droopy shoulders and weak knees? In Hebrews 12, the way of escape is that we look to Jesus and we run with endurance. We keep going. I think of I think of this. Um, I don't really like to talk about it too much, but I had really like amazing role models as parents. And uh, I was really blessed to see 
them find ways of escape. And I remember, so my dad was diagnosed with ALS for like many years, and I watched my mom take care of him for eight, ten years. She would wake up at 6 a.m., take care of him the whole day, maybe go to work a little bit, come back, take care of him. And I remember saying, I could never do that. I could never do that. That's, that's impossible. I could never do that. And, and one, one morning, I woke up at 4 a.m. for some reason. I was hungry. And uh, if you know me, I'm, I'm always hungry. But, um, but I woke up at 4 a.m. and I was heading to the kitchen. And, um, and, I, and I, see, I see my mom and she's on her knees praying at 4 a.m. And I, fi- I find out later that she's been doing this for a long time. And that's how she's been able to endure it. She found her way of escape on her knees. Right? There's nothing that will ever happen in this life in which God doesn't give us a way of escape. David's crying out to God, God, give me the wings like a dove that I may fly away into the wilderness. My soul is in anguish. I cannot do this anymore. And God says to David, I have made for you a way of escape. You may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but my way of escape for you is that I am with you. You may have enemies come up against you. The enemies encamp you on all sides. Saul is, Saul is after your life. But my way of escape for you is I will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Oh God, my flesh was going to take me on a ride with Bathsheba. And it's going to leave me stranded. And God says, my mercy and my goodness are my way of escape for you. Let's, let's, let's take this to heart. God always has a way of escape for us and we can find it. I remember times in my life and I'm here now and all of us are here now because we have found a way of escape. To escape the corruption of the world because of sinful desire, to escape the accusations of Satan, to escape, to escape bitterness in our hearts, maybe. Right? What about indifference and familiarity? How often can we be familiar with things? How often, I get so indifferent sometimes with things. I can read my Bible and just nothing sticks, you know? But God has given us a way of escape. His mercies are new and fresh. Yeah, yeah. What if, what if, Maybe maybe someone's listening or someone's here is like a, a, doesn't know that they have a way of escape. They you do. Maybe you feel like you're in a house that is on fire and there's no way of escape. There's a safety net, and that's Christ. Right? Jump into his loving arms. He's waiting to be gracious to you. He always will have a way of escape for you. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Wow. It's amazing to be here this morning, huh? Yeah, it's great to be here. We're so blessed. I love how Pastor Steve DeVries started his message on Wednesday. He was like, don't be familiar with what you have. We have an amazing fellowship in this local assembly, amazing unity together in the spirit. It's awesome. So, yeah, let's let's turn to Joshua chapter 3 and then we'll just have another little short message and see how God speaks to our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the musicians and the singers and just all the work, all the dedication. We thank you, Lord. We're grateful to be in your presence. We're so grateful to be in your presence, Lord. We're so grateful. Oh, Lord, we thank you. And you're not, you're not preaching to us. You're not quoting verses to us. You're just with us. 
You're just with us. And you're so humble that you would even listen to us. And you're so humble that you would even just talk with us. Hear our, our ideas from our brain that you gave us. You're such a humble God. And we're thankful to be in your presence this morning. And just feed us again from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so Joshua chapter 3, I just want to read a couple verses, and then we'll talk about following God, following God by faith, and what does it mean to follow God by faith. And we've had a great morning already, so Andrew had an amazing word. Wasn't that good? That was good. The way of escape. We'll never see it the same way. We'll never see it the same way. We're only going to see the woman from Revelation 12 giving birth and flying away. That's our way of escape. Okay, uh, Joshua chapter 3, and I'll just read verses 1 to 6. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Who knows, who knows what 2,000 cubits is? We got some numbers going up, some hands. 2,000 cubits is, I, I watch, it's the playoffs in America. It's NFL football playoffs. So we're going to go by how many football fields it is. It's 10 football fields. That's about half a mile. And we all know when you're driving down the highway, you got half a mile to go, and you still got three lanes to merge over to get on your exit. Right? No, we don't do that. But when there's half a mile to go... You can, you can see the exit, right? But it's like a good distance away. And, and they're following the ark of God from half a mile away. Ten football fields. Lamar's gonna get ten, ten touchdowns in the next game. No. Okay. Two thousand cubits in length. Do not come near it. Don't come near the ark in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. That's an amazing phrase. You have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. So that's a, a, that's a good framework for this message. Um, what are some of the differences in, in we're, we're moving on in our Bible, in the book of Joshua. We've just turned the page to the book of Joshua, which is after the Pentateuch, or the Torah, the five books of Moses. In the five books of Moses, the way that God related to the people of Israel was very different than the way that he related to the people who are under Joshua's command. 
in, in the wilderness when Moses was leading them, God led them by a pillar of fire by night in a cloud by day. And God said, whenever the cloud moves, follow the cloud. Isn't that a good message? That's, that's good for us. Whenever the cloud moves, just follow. And the Israelites could say, when, when do we go and where do we go? Those are two big questions we all have in life, isn't it? When do I go, Lord? Where do I go? Which job should I pick? Which school should I pick? Who should I marry? Where, which city should I live? What church should I go to? When should I leave? How should I be in this situation? How should I relate to my relatives who are not saved on Thanksgiving? How do I relate to this friend? How do I talk to this person on outreach? There's a lot of questions we have about our direction and our leading in life. And in the wilderness, it was very clear. It was very clear. There was a cloud. When the cloud moves, follow the shade. You're in the wilderness, follow the shade. And at night when it gets real cold, just follow the fire. There's a pillar of fire. It's very clear. And also in the wilderness, God gave them the provision of manna, which came from heaven. It was the bread that came from heaven that was fresh every day. And they, they learned how to pick the manna every morning, and they had what they needed. In the middle of the desert, in the middle of the wilderness, they had a meal every day because God was giving them food. And wasn't it true that in the wilderness, their sandals never ran out? Their sandals never wore out. I don't know about you, but I go through a new pair of work boots like every two years. They get the dust in them. They got the scratches. I got to get a new pair of work boots, right? But their, their shoes never wore out the whole time they're in the wilderness, right? God related to them in a different way where they had special grace for that season. But when we turn the page to Joshua chapter 3, God says something very different. He says, when you see the ark of God, don't come near it. Follow from a distance. Right? All right, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 9. And we'll talk about three things that were in the ark of God and why they're important in our Christian life. And then we'll make an application. All right, in Hebrews chapter 9. In verse 4. And the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Right? So we have three things in the ark. We have the manna that came from heaven that they put in a golden bowl. We have the rod that Aaron put in the tent of meeting and it budded and it was chosen that he was going to be the priest. And then we have the tablets of the new, the Old Testament, the, the covenant, the law, right? And so let's start with the law because that's good. This, this relates to our life in such a, such a practical way as believers in the New Testament under the new covenant. They received the law, which was God's commandment from them, for them. And cursed is the one 
who does not do everything that is written in the law. Whoever tries to go by the law, you have to do all of it. And we know that we cannot follow the law. So what did Christ do? In Galatians 4, he came from heaven and he came under the law. And in Matthew 5, he fulfilled it. So that way he could take us out from under the law and put us under, can you finish? Under grace, right? Romans 6.14, sin shall not have dominion over you anymore, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. And what does the new covenant say? In Hebrews 8, it says that I will write my laws on their hearts. I will write my laws on their heart. And there's five, five laws that I found in the New Testament that Christ writes on our heart. That's a good study if you want to do it. But what does it mean that Christ has taken us from under the commandments that were contrary to us? He has taken them away and nailed them to the cross in Colossians 2.15. And we're no longer held under the commandments, but we're brought under grace. And now God says, you owe no man anything but to love him. What's the first law? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. God has taken us from the requirements of the law and he's put his law on our hearts, which is love. His law is love, right? That's amazing. His royal law of love and his perfect law of liberty. You know what that means? I will write my laws on your heart. One of God's laws is that if Christ was punished for sin, you are not allowed to be punished for sin. Amen? If Christ is punished for my sin, I cannot be punished for it. That's the law of the new covenant. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Praise God, right? God gave that to us in the wilderness. When we were unbelievers, God gave that to us in the wilderness. He said, you're not under the law anymore. You're under grace. You cannot be judged for your sin. Christ was. You'll be chastised as a son, but not judged as a sinner. I gave that to you in the wilderness. What else did he give? In number 17, when they were deciding who is the priest going to be, they, every tribe, every head of the tribe, they took a staff and they put it in the tent of meeting. And God said, whoever I choose, I will make that dead piece of wood detached from its source of life. I will make that sprout forth blossoms and bring forth blood, buds. And there will be ripe almonds on that. It's amazing that the staff is a piece of dead wood disconnected from its life source. And out of the death comes a brand new life when God breathes on it, when God chooses, chooses that staff. And it brought forth ripe almonds. And it's amazing. What does that mean? That, that when Christ was dead, he was raised in new life. He, he, he was on the cross. There was, there, there was death there. But out of the death, God breathed new life that is incorruptible, imperishable, and it cannot be touched. It's amazing that we have the resurrection life. And what does the priesthood also represent? It represents 
intercession and atonement. It represents someone praying on my behalf and somebody covering my sin and wiping it away. And God is saying, in the wilderness, I gave you a resurrection life and ripe almonds. I don't need to wait three days for the bananas to be a nice yellow color. They're already ripe. The almonds were already ripe. And that's Hebrews 10, 14. And that means he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And we're being sanctified. We're not perfect right now in our flesh, but we have been perfected forever in heaven in the eyes of God. And that's the ripe almonds. It's our positional truth. God is saying, in the wilderness, I gave you the law. But as a believer, I've written my law on your heart. In the wilderness, they had the priesthood that was chosen. But in the New Testament, we have resurrection life and positional truth. And the last one is manna. And manna, it's our daily bread. It's what Andrew said. We need a fresh word every single day. We need fresh life from God. We, we can't live if this book is not breathed on. If this book is not giving us the breath of God, it's not the Spirit of God. It's the letter that kills. But when God breathes on the Word, when it's divine, when it's not just manna, but it's in a golden urn, the golden urn, the gold in the Old Testament speaks of divinity. It's something that cannot be crushed. It cannot be destroyed. You can't destroy gold. You can melt it. You can't destroy it. And that speaks of the divinity of Christ. And it speaks of how the Word is a spiritual source of our life. But if it's not divine, it's the letter that kills. And God is saying, I'm going to breathe on my Word into your heart, and it's going to live inside of you. It's going to live inside of you. What did we receive in the wilderness? We received the law of God written on our hearts, much deeper than following someone's rules. We've received the resurrection life from, de- from the death. And we've received the living word of God, the living and abiding word of God. We're born again to receive the living and abiding word of God. This is amazing. <clears throat> so let's turn back to Joshua 3. I know that's a lot. I know that's like a, a big meal right there. But I just want to make another practical point based on, based on what this is saying. And it's so good. It's so close to my heart today just to think about these thoughts. Thank you, Lord. In verse 4 of Joshua chapter 3. It says this, Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about half a mile in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. This is so good. Do you ever feel like God is silent? Do you ever feel like God is inconspicuous? Do you ever sense that you, you, you know you need to make a change in your life, but you don't know what it is? You don't know which direction to go. You don't know where to go. You don't know which job to choose. Maybe it's hard to pray. 
and God seems like he's far away. That could be a good thing. Because God is saying to the Israelites, he's saying, no more cloud, no more fire. We've come to the place where you're on the brink of the promised land. And the only way that you can get into the promised land, the only way that you can experience the promises of God in your life, you can't have the cloud right now. You need to take what God gave you in the wilderness, and when you don't feel Him, live by those things. God is far off. I don't know what to do, Lord. I don't know where to go. But God says, I gave you my law in your heart. I gave you my resurrection life. I gave you positional truth. I gave you a living word every day. I gave you fresh manna from heaven, God's word to your heart. Can you, can you live by faith? Can you walk by faith and not by sight? Can you see the things that are not seen? Because the things that are seen are temporary and the things which are unseen are eternal. Can you call the things that are not as though they are in Romans 4.17? Can you walk by faith instead of by sight? When you can't see me, can you follow? That's amazing. He has given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. So that we, by the very great and precious promises of God, might become partakers of the divine nature we can actually partake of the divine nature when we learn to walk by faith even when we can't see. But it's not blind faith. It's not an unrealistic faith. It's not illogical because we have what God has given us. And He has given us so much. And He has given us the ark of God. And He has given us His presence. And He has given us His Son. And how will He not with His Son freely give us all things? He has. And when I can't see God, can I walk by faith? Can I walk by faith? And then this phrase that we talked about at the beginning, for you not, you have not passed this way before. You have not passed this way before. That's so good. God wants to lead us to a place we have never been before. He wants to lead us to a place where we don't have to be slaves to our sin. He wants to lead us to a place where we go to bed and in our heart we have the Holy Spirit ministering His love to us. It's real. It's so real. He does. He, he can do that to, to us. He illuminates us. He gives us His Word. We hide it in our heart and it becomes inside of us a spring, a well of life that flows out of us in John 4 and John 7. He really does it. We haven't been this way before, but to get to that place, we have to walk by faith. But it's, it's not some ambiguity. It's not obscure. It's simply follow the things He's given us. Obey them. Be humble. Humble yourselves in the hand of God and He will exalt you. He gives grace to the humble. And He will lead us to a place we've never been. He will lead us into the promised land the place where we can truly rest in His grace, the place where we can truly trust in His blood that it does cleanse us. It does cleanse our conscience. We don't have to be a slave to the thoughts 
of our old life. We don't have to be a slave to the unforgiveness and bitterness of the old man. We don't have to be a slave to those things. We can pass into a new place where we forgive each other, we love each other, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have fellowship as we walk in the light. We haven't been there before, but when we walked by faith instead of sight, God led us there. And we have all been there. We have all been together in in the fellowship, and we have been to that place that only Christ could take us. Our flesh can't get us there. Our willpower can't get us there. Even though you have the most unified group of people, if there's no Holy Spirit between them, you can't get there. And sometimes, in closing, sometimes God's silence is the greatest blessing. Because it was in God's silence that Job found the mystery of who God is. It was in God's silence that Job had a revelation of the I am that I am. A God higher than his circumstances a God who eternally is outside of me. I can fellowship with something that goes beyond my problem. I can fellowship with something that goes beyond my circumstance. And like Andrew was saying about his mom who was praying, she was fellowshipping with something that was beyond her circumstance. She found the I am, the eternal God, and his character and his nature. And, and God's silence can bring us to the place where we learn that God is the God of our moments. He is the God of moments. I can find him in every moment of my life because Isaiah 27 verse 3 promises, I, the Lord, water the vineyard every moment. Yes, his silence is not really silence. It's a deeper mystery of, of knowing God in a new way. It's a deeper mystery of going behind the veil into the presence of God. And that's how, that's, that's walking by faith into the promised land. And, and, and I just, I, th- I thank you for listening. And I know this is, this message is dear to our hearts because we, we're learning to walk by faith. We're learning to. We're learning to. Hey, we're going to be in heaven together one day and we're going to just, we're going to be in the most amazing fellowship we've ever experienced. And we're going to see God face to face. And we're going to ask him, can I live by faith? No, you see me. Why, you don't, you don't need faith anymore. Can I live by faith in a hundred years? No. A million years. No, you can't live by faith. You see me. He has given us His very great and precious promises. Let us take them by faith, live them by faith, seek Him by faith, because whoever seeks God, He comes to Him and He believes that He is. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And, and we'll find Him on our knees, in our faith, in our actions, in our life. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this message of faith. And we thank you, Lord, for this 
weak, foolish method of faith. But it brings the power of God into dust that we are. And if you're here this morning, if you're living in the wilderness of life, if you're living in the uncertainty of death, in the fear of death, the message of the cross of Jesus Christ is, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me will never see death. And if you haven't put your trust in Christ this morning, you can put your trust in Him. Believe in Him and He will give you that new life. He will, he will put His Spirit in your hearts and He will make you alive. And if you're praying that prayer, Jesus, come into my heart. Cleanse me of my sin. I trust you. Can you just raise your hand? Just let us know that you've said the prayer of faith in Christ. And Lord, we thank you for your spirit that you've given us in this fellowship that we have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.